0: Shall we now look at the God's Word, 2 Corinthians chapter 1? As we look at this text, I understand you've been fairly recently uh, through 1 Corinthians, if I'm not mistaken, and had not yet entered into 2 Corinthians for your study of God's Word here in worship. And so today we have 2 Corinthians, Paul continuing his writings to the Corinthians, a very needy city that needed repentance as well as renewed faith in the gospel. And as we recognize that fact, we hear Paul wanting to encourage them in the comfort of the gospel as they have needed that comfort and as he himself has received it, sharing it with them. And so 2 Corinthians 1, I will begin with verse 1 and we'll go through the text, verse 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, though he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is the word of God. May bless it to our hearts and lives again, shall we pray. Teach us to learn what Paul learned and even what our Savior learned, obedience through suffering. He did it perfectly. We, not so much. But We are still called to endure with patience those things that might be so troubling to us that you might comfort us in all of our afflictions. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know you very well yet, but I can tell you that you've had troubles of various sorts. Now, the older you are, the more you could agree with that. Life is hard, very hard, and it is full of pain. There's a famous line from one of my favorite movies that says, Life is pain, and anyone who tries to tell you differently is selling something. In other words, we think there's an easy answer to our sufferings in something in the world vacations, fun, diversions of all sorts, just trying to enjoy ourselves, even though we might be crying behind the scenes. Life, I'm sure, has been hard for many of you, if not all of you, in various ways. Some silent, distant grief. But this is nothing new, and it certainly is true that the longer we live, we experience such trials. Over the course of my ministry, I've been in various churches, and in one church, we were close friends to a family who had four sons, and the third of those sons was lost climbing in the mountains or the hills of southeast Ohio, fell into a ravine, and died, and he was probably around 20 years old. It was difficult for that family to know what to think. Here was their son at virtually the beginning of his life so full of promise and now he was gone and it's hard to know how to comfort someone in that circumstance perhaps even more difficult a different church that I was in I arrived shortly after one family had had a four-year-old boy a son and he was out in the street playing and a car came by and hit him and at four years old he died what do you say what do you say to a family like that They had some comfort that that four-year-old son showed some remarkable faith before he passed away. So they had the comfort of knowing that they would see their son again, but their grief would last their entire lives, no doubt. Maybe you've lost loved ones. Maybe you will lose loved ones. Maybe you have difficulties in your life. These days, everybody has difficulties and trials. We talk about COVID endlessly, ad nauseum. I'm getting a little tired of it aren't we all? But it does remind the whole world that there's trouble and there's death. There's illness. There's a need for someone to deliver us from such trials. And I've seen a number of people who are not believers show up at church because they, during COVID, have watched a service online, maybe, and have come to visit. And they hear the good news of Jesus Christ and their comfort comes only from him. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible as many of us continue to live through the struggles of the Christian life. Paul's life certainly is an example, as he gives examples from his own life of his own hardships. Certainly, Christ's hardships were even worse, including his death on the cross and his experience of hell in our place. But we can still look at Paul, who says in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so he gives an example as an apostle. Notice his connection with the Corinthians is very strong. If you remembered 1 Corinthians, these people were a mess. I mean, we're all a mess, but this was a real mess. This church questioned the resurrection. They were full of immorality. They fought amongst each other. They had a party spirit. Uh, I could go on and on, and you'd think to yourself, why would Paul care? Why would Paul deal with such people who were such wrecks? But he knew the gospel was strong. He proclaimed that gospel to them, even warned them to repent before it was too late. And then the amazing thing is, Paul heard that they had repented. Even though they still struggled in many ways, as we'll see in this particular book over the next few weeks, they had made progress. But they had done so through many trials. And Paul bears with them, as Christ even bears with every church and every one of us, to emphasize his commitment to them despite how they have, believe it or not, continuing doubts about him. He wants them to have comfort in Christ alone, as he has received comfort. And the source of comfort in the middle of affliction, in the middle of trouble, comes in verse 3, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So far, familiar words. But then he says, God is also the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, of course, he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this comfort comes through Jesus Christ, who also had to submit to the Father in all of his afflictions. And he had to receive comfort by the power of the Holy Spirit from God himself in a remarkable way, as he was both God and man. The comfort that comes to us now comes through the power of Christ who identified with us in our sin and in our sufferings. He is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ and also the father of mercies or compassion. Psalm 103 says, Even as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them who fear him. Now it's great to have a dad. Dads have to teach, they have to warn, sometimes they have to discipline you children. But if your fathers are anything like my father, when I had to be disciplined, he comforted me. He said, it's all right, son. God is teaching you hard lessons. Therefore, our earthly fathers are good examples of the fatherhood of God, if they are godly. The father of mercies. As a father pities his children, God pities us. He knows our weakness. He knows our frailty, and through his Son, he knows our frailties personally. Jesus experienced the same weaknesses that we have without sin. God is not to us a God of penalty and vengeance and retribution, or in the strict sense, punishment. What God does for us is discipline us unto godliness, as our fathers do. He is the Father, therefore, of mercies. He disciplines us for our own good, as Hebrews reminds us. But he's also the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles or in our afflictions, depending on your translation. The NIV says the word trouble. That's pretty good. Affliction is a little more complicated a word, but the same idea. It means all kinds of trouble. Now, he gives examples in his own life of persecution as an apostle. But there are all kinds of trouble that we might experience that might not necessarily be persecution, but are the troubles of this life. Any kind of trouble, notice, who comforts us in all, all of our affliction, God alone can deal with us in a way that any problem is not too big for him to bear or too small for him to care. He does care about the smallest concerns in our lives and therefore if you are hurt or you fall down or you skin your knee children or whatever you might do you can still say Lord help me or if bigger people fall down in bigger ways God can still comfort us and strengthen us. Only God can provide true comfort. All other comforts are temporary. Oh, yes, we're so glad the pastor he can go on vacation. But ultimately, it's got to be the Lord who refreshes him through this time. We enjoy vacations. We like going to Disneyland or Disney World, depending on who you are. Sometimes people flee to bad ways of comforting themselves, drugs and alcohol, for example, or just lots of fun trying to forget their troubles. But only God truly comforts people who have great needs in their lives. The afflictions here, the Bible says, are many, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Look at verse 5. We share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Isn't that amazing? Our troubles as believers are many. Now some would tell you once you become a Christian, everything gets less hard. It's not true. We have more challenges as believers because the world, the flesh, and the devil are all against us. The Christian still has trouble, and lots of it. And we sometimes say, well, does God really love me? Why does he not take away this trouble? Don't fall into the trap of believing that it's always God's will that you be healed or not have trouble. He does help you, sometimes delivering you from those troubles, but many times he delivers you in those troubles. We suffer somehow or other, it says here, in Christ's sufferings. Now, how is that possible? Only Christ could suffer and die for us in our place. How are our sufferings Christ's sufferings? Where well, we're part of the body of Christ. We fill up, according to one verse, what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Not for redemption, but because we as his body will suffer even as he suffered because we are not greater than our Savior. If our Savior suffered, so we will have sufferings. Philippians 1 says this. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but shall also suffer for his sake. We have union with Christ. We are one with him. Christ is unique but we share an aspect of his suffering, namely serving him. Philippians 4. To the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory You may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the sake of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You might say, why would unbelievers care what we believe? I'll start out with another story about myself. You may hear a few of them here and there throughout the summer, but I was a very shy person in junior high and all the way through part of high school. I know some of you have a hard time believing that. But it is absolutely true. I was painfully shy. I didn't even like to talk to anybody. I like, you know it might be hard to believe for you, perhaps, at this point. But it was hard for me because I went from Christian school in sixth grade to public school in seventh grade. And you know how kind junior high schoolers are. Not really. I was a new kid on the block. Not only that, I stood out as being somewhat different. I'm not sure how or why they thought that. After a while, they found that I was a Christian. It became even worse. And I was not happy. It, t- it took me a long time to go- to say, you know what? I need to actually tell people about Christ. By the time I got to high school, <laughs> people would ask me what Christians think, and they would give me an opportunity to answer. Again, I had to learn these things, even though I was not popular amongst the unbelieving kids, of course. That's just a very small illustration. I'm sure for you, you may have illustrations of your own about how, as a Christian, you're not the same as others, and that's the way it ought to be, because we should not be like the world. Paul, of course, had abundant sufferings. He was not only a Christian, he was an apostle, and he was making a royal pest of himself, according to the Jews. What does this guy used to be a Pharisee think he's doing? going out there telling people, oh, he used to be a sinner, and now he follows this Christ who was crucified. And we, as Jews, wanted to get rid of him, and now we have to deal with this guy. Paul was not popular, especially among the Jews, as we saw in our Acts 14 readings. Listen to what Paul says later about his sufferings as an apostle in chapter 11. He says, I have far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger at the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. It's getting tiring just to hear about it. Danger from false brothers and toil and hardship. Many a sleepless night, hunger and thirst without food, cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, he says, on top of everything else, I'm worried about you. The daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul, when he was a Pharisee, had it pretty good. Everybody loved him. Keep arresting those Christians. Paul, you're doing a great job. Now he wants to make new people into Christians. Don't do it, Paul. You've left your royal pharisaical heritage, haven't you? He endured the sufferings of Christ And so it says here, as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. So the point is, not that we should just suffer, but that God would be our comfort, and he alone. Verse 5 again says, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Christ does not leave us alone in our sufferings, He teaches us things. He helps us to know that we're Christians for a good reason, and though it is not easy, God will help us. He will comfort us. Even as I'm sure that he comforted those families who lost their children at a relatively young age, he equally abundantly will comfort us as we receive comfort not from the devil but from God. God himself poured out Suffering on Christ at the cross. But our sufferings are drained of all punishment, and they are for our own good. We find that God Himself has suffered in Christ. Jesus Christ suffered and can sympathize. Truly God and truly man. Now you might still say, but why? Come on. Couldn't God take away from us all pain, all hard things? All suffering, all persecution, all ridicule. Couldn't we just have the comfort without the suffering? God, please. I'm not sure I can take this anymore. My dad used to have a saying that I think is a little ironic. He would say to me, do you know why I wear tight shoes? And I said, no, dad, why do you wear tight shoes? He said, because it feels so good to take them off. Now, of course, that's silly. Because you wouldn't just go and wear tight shoes you would wear good shoes. You don't want to seek out suffering just because you might be relieved at the end of the day to shuck off your shoes at the door. That's not the point. Suffering has a good reason to it that we might share God's holiness, and we have this answer in verses four to six. What's the reason? Why does God allow us to go through such things? First of all, he does want us to have that comfort. He wants us to recognize that he is the God of all comfort a true appreciation of God's grace comes, when we realize that this pain is a result of our sinful situation. But God does comfort us. Paul says he was comforted in chapter 7 when he heard from Titus that the Corinthians had repented of their sins. Now, it was not easy for Paul to hear of their sin and their rebellion. He sorrowed over them. He wept over them. He felt the daily pressure of their rebellion himself in his own heart and life. But finally, when he got that notice from Titus that they had repented of their sins, he was comforted, he says in chapter 7, and also in chapter 2, as we'll see, that he wanted to hear the comfort of God's work in their lives? Well, first of all then, we certainly need the comfort, but also we need to help others in their suffering. We have to look beyond ourselves. If you, for example, have gone through the pain of treatment for cancer, maybe you can help someone else who is going through that same painful treatment. Maybe you might have to live with diabetes, and if you do, you might have to help someone with helping them to know that God has a purpose for that in their lives, even so. Looking beyond yourself. When I was a child, I was taught a very simple way to spell joy. Have you heard this one, children? Joy. How do you spell joy? All right, here we go. J-O-Y. Oh, that was easy. Well, that's not the point. It stands for something. J stands for Jesus, right? O is what? others, and you, with a Y, Y Y-O-U, Jesus, others, and you, in that order. If you seek just for yourself all your life, it's backwards, and you really don't get any joy. Instead, you're consumed by selfishness, and life is not worth living that way. We look beyond ourselves. Maybe some of you children maybe, again, have ever had a cast on your arm, a broken arm. You ever do that? You have your cast. What do you do? Everybody signs it. Because they're identifying with you. I hope that you feel better. And if I break my arm, I'll remember that you had a cast on your arm and you recovered. So it's okay to go through those painful experiences. You know the pain. I was very close to my brother Doug, two years younger than I, and at age 43, he was riding his bicycle, and he was hit by a truck and died, leaving three children and a wife. Painful, very painful. I remember the moment to this day. I will not forget my brother. Sometimes I think it was all a big mistake. I have a dream once in a while that he's still alive. Of course, he is in glory. But it was hard for me and our whole family. But we can experience that comfort to know that if God comforted you or me in that kind of loss, then God can comfort you, too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Salvation for believers is through pain. And this is what the Bible says in Romans 8. We are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we might also be glorified with him. If we share the sufferings of Christ, we will share his glory. As a Christian, you cannot have salvation without the reality of pain and suffering. The great thing is, when we are comforted, we are not alone in our comfort, nor in our troubles. Verse 7. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. There is a link with one another. When one person suffers, suffers a loss, loses a loved one. The rest of us hurt for that person, right? We come to the funeral, and we hug them, and we say, I'm sorry for your loss, as if it were my loss don't you? This is how it works. And you don't even have to say that many words. Just be there in a ministry of presence and say, I may not understand exactly what you're going through, but I am still sorry for what you are experiencing. When one part of the body suffers, Paul says in Romans and in Corinthians, every part of the body is suffering at the same time. When you stub your toe, you have hurt yourself. You jump around the way I do if I stub my toe. It really hurts. I don't go, well, it's only my toe. I'll just cut that off. No. My toe hurts. I hurt. Somebody in your family hurts. You're hurting, right? These are all troubles that we experience together. We are one body, and together we can endure it. This is why we have prayer meetings. This is why you have a prayer list in your bulletin. This is why we have fellowship times. This is why we have what used to be called body life when I was growing up, a demonstration of the life and love of Christ. We experience the comfort of other believers, and therefore we ourselves are experiencing that comfort in the love of Christ. We see it in them, and we see it in ourselves, and we say God knows what he's doing. Now Paul had an example to give in verses 8 and following. He has plenty of examples. We read from Acts 14. He was burdened, he says, burdened of the affliction we experienced in Asia beyond our strength. Notice a burden is what we experience when we see other people hurting. We bear one another's burdens, as Galatians says, and thus we fulfill the law of Christ. So we are helping each other. We Help the other person bear up under the load. Carry each other's burdens, Galatians six two says. But it's beyond our strength. We cannot endure these things ourselves. Have you ever experienced something that you've said, I just don't think I can stand it anymore? I've talked to someone who has had to have withdrawal from drug abuse. I haven't had that experience myself, but Maybe you know of someone who's gone through that. I know a lady one time who became addicted to painkillers because she was in the hospital and needed them for a time, but she became dependent upon them, and having to be delivered from those painkillers and the addiction to them, she could hardly stand it. She wanted to die. And I've talked to other people in that same circumstance. When you have to withdraw from sin, it's not easy. And sometimes you might want to give up. I'm not sure I can take it, and as a matter of fact, in yourself, you can't. This is what Paul says. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now, what he said was, I think I'm going to die, or "I maybe I want to die. Not exactly in Paul's case, but it says we despaired of life. In other words, when he was stoned once, he was left for dead. Can you imagine, and I'm talking about big boulders being thrown at you, You're unconscious, you're bleeding, and you're under a pile of rocks. And you wake up a little bit and you say, Where am I? I'm under a pile of rocks. (sighs) Maybe I'm dead. Paul might have thought he was dead. He was left for dead. What I'm so amazed at in Acts 14 and many other places, when Paul was let down from a basket, in a basket over the walls and had to run away, or if he was beaten by rods many times or stoned and left for dead, he got up afterward. (laughs) He was almost dead, but he got up afterwards and he went back into the city and then he kept on preaching. I'm going, you know, if I experienced just one stoning, I think I might retire from being an apostle. How about you? This would be hard. And Paul goes, you know what? I experienced these hardships, but I considered it a privilege to be suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. But I thought I might die. I had the sentence of death, And I said to myself, Well, you know, this is it. I'm at the end of my life. In Acts 14, we saw that example. Paul still got up, went back into the city. Next day went on to a couple more cities and kept doing the same thing. And then later he came back to visit the same cities. I couldn't believe it. What do you think you're doing going back where you were stoned or left for dead? Don't go back there, Paul. It might happen again. He goes, Well, what are you gonna do? I have to do what I have to do, I have to preach. I told you of that teenage boy who died as he was hiking in Ohio, and I wrote a letter to the parents. They were good friends of mine. And I told you about my brother who died when he was 43. So I wrote a letter to them, and I said this in part. There is not a day that goes by that I do not remember my brother, seeing his picture in my office or on my bed. I have a regular dream in which I see my brother alive and think it is all a big mistake, that he actually never died. Then I wake up and realize That was a dream, and the grief wells up again. It is only slowly that I have realized that the reality is not sadder than the dream. The reality is greater. For I will see my brother and my Savior, not in this life, but in the life to come, and how much better that will be. He is already rejoicing in glory and waiting with the rest of the righteous made perfect for the rest of us to get there. And that means that even death doesn't matter for the believer. He says this in verse 10, he, or rather verse 9. He, he, give us, he gives us the sense that we might die in order that we might not rely on ourselves, but God who raises the dead. Now, if God can raise the dead, what troubles do we have? I mean, you have to think about this. We're all going to die someday unless Christ returns very quickly. We are going to die. Let's face it. I know you don't like to think about it, but it's going to happen. So what? You say, well, it might be painful. I know. Might be hard. I know. I'm going to lo- lose my loved ones. Let, let, Miss my loved ones. It's going to be hard for them. I understand. But he wants us to depend on a God who raises the dead. Do you believe that God raises the dead? Will he raise Jesus from the dead? Do you believe he will raise you and your body from the dead someday? Do you believe you will see your believing loved ones again someday when he raises you and them from the dead, or maybe in heaven itself? You're not to trust in yourself. You can't raise the dead. Nobody can raise the dead. Not even these fancy healing preachers can raise the dead, though I've heard some people say they could actually do it if they felt like it. Uh, I don't think so. Only God Can raise the dead. But we've got to understand that. Why? In order that we might not rely on ourselves. We think we are strong. We say, I can do it. Nothing's too hard for me until it is. And then you realize you've got to call upon the name of the Lord. Sometimes it takes extraordinary circumstances. Paul was driven to the Lord by facing the risen Lord on the road to Damascus and being knocked off his high horse. What do you think you're doing, Paul, fighting against me? Arresting Christians, sentencing them to death. You, Paul, I will save. I will make you an apostle to the Gentiles and prove that God can change anybody if he can change you. The resurrection is proof that God delivers and that God changes and that God is real and that God will help you. He tells the Corinthians that same thing so that they can go through their present struggles knowing that they will make it. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But remember, the sufferings of this present time, Romans says, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We might be comforted in this life, but what will glory be like? And sometimes I think back, what will heaven be like? Do you think there will be any sorrow or tears? We know there won't be. God will wipe every tear from our eyes, the Bible says. Isn't that wonderful? Compare the trouble with the comfort that God gives to you afterwards. God delivers us in response to prayer, as he goes on to say. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us. And you help us by praying for us so that many will give thanks. So pray for those in trouble. Pray for Christians in Ukraine. Pray for those who have lost loved ones. Pray for those who are going through fiery trials. Pray for those who are struggling with various dependencies and are crying out to God for deliverance. God is sanctifying us. He is delivering us. He is knitting us together. And he is the one who is receiving the praise for it all because that's what the point is. We have to praise God not pursue our own comforts. We have to experience the comfort, but then we give thanks to God, who is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in any and every affliction. that We may be able to comfort others who have gone through or are going through the same thing. Christ's own comfort comes to us in our suffering, that we might trust in him, shall we pray. Lord God, we ask you to forgive us for our complaining. When we do cry out to you, O Lord, we ask you to help us to bring our complaints to you, as the psalmist did. Why, O why, have you forsaken me? Our Savior said the same thing in honesty, but also in truth, that he was experiencing the abandonment that we should have experienced in hell itself. But you are always with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Give us, therefore, that comfort and hope in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.